This is WexCast from the Wexner Center for the Arts at The Ohio State University. I'm Melissa Starker, PR and Content Manager for the Wex. For this WexCast, we go back to the beginning of our cycle of winter exhibitions to a conversation between assistant curator Lucy Zimmerman, Alicia McCarthy, and her assistant and fellow artist Oliver Hawk Holden. Fresh from completing McCarthy's site-specific mural, No Straight Lines, in the WEX lobby, the artists discuss the sometimes disorienting effects of working large-scale. McCarthy also covers her relationship to graffiti, past and present, and how her time spent at the small Humboldt School was as impactful as her experience as part of the group of artists later to be loosely known as the Mission School. Let's listen. Alicia McCarthy and Oliver Hawk Holden. I'm so grateful for you guys to have been here, and you just finished the mural, which looks amazing. I hoped first we could start. Alicia, can you describe your work a little bit, or this mural in particular, for people who aren't familiar? For this piece, I did something I'd never really done before based on imagery that somewhat repeats in my paintings, which... I call a negative space weave and what that means is all the positive lines are created by painting around them so in this instance we Oliver and I chose six colors to create a sort of loose pattern uh, squares in the background and then applied spray paint very spontaneously and then the, the last layer is the grid that goes on top. So the negative space grid I've done before, but I've never done it with multiple colors behind mm-hmm. um, or on this scale before. Yeah. Alicia, as you know, I wrote a little description kind of of your work. And what I think is so amazing about you and your work that's all kind of continuous and the same is how focused it is on community and participation. And you said collaboration with materials, with colors, and you think about things that way. And I know that you've often been kind of lumped in with the mission school, which people, you know, I I know struggle with that kind of framework. But when you came here to do a site visit, you talked to just about how influenced you are by kind of so many people, and you talked about Humboldt State and some of those artists and friends, and I wondered if you could talk, because I think that in the narrative of your work or just your life, you see less of that, so can you talk a little bit about some of those people, Harold and Virgil? And Yeah, and I appreciate you bringing that up, because it's something, since having more opportunities to have discussions or interviewed about the work. I'm trying to give more attention to that first time in my life when I left home and the first group of people that truly and still do inspire me and are still some of my closest people, one of which is here in outside of Columbus, Jess Hilliard. <laughs> Shout out to Jess. Um, and... I think what was happening up there was, at least for me, really just being active and not naming it. I mean, again, 30 years later, I think, or close to it, and I have more of a verbal language for maybe my life or things in general, but I really 
think of those times and the group of people, Virgil Shaw, Harold Fletcher, Cleveland Leffler, Chayla Fielding, to name a few, Jess. There was, again, it was a lot of music. There was what, you know, we just did wacky, crazy things, you know. Um, Were you playing in bands then? uh, I was incredibly shy about playing music, so I would call myself maybe a closeted practicer, which I (laughs) did literally in the closet, (laughs) like physically in a closet. Uh, I played with my roommate, Chayla, and we just kind of went nutty. Virgil was in a band, Brent's TV, and um, there were other bands. Jess was in Judy and the Lodi's, and which was great. It was like a band, and Judy, Judith actually like sat and knit up on stage the whole time. But just, I mean, we were 18, you know, 17, 18, 19. We did another one of sort of the more memorable. We had this thing where we would all just sort of streak through town in a large group and just kind of, like, run naked through town. And then, like, you know, we were just sort of... Again, I don't think it's any different than the crazy things that Oliver and his friends did 25 years later, you know. Mm -hmm. But in a place like Humboldt State, you have or just Arcata in general and that whole area, there's a lot more sort of mental freedom around as opposed to being in a city. And that was one of the things that drew me to Humboldt is I wanted a really small school. Mm -hmm. It had a strong art department, again, sort of like Ohio State. And you don't really think about it. Think about Ohio State and their art department. There's these certain um, areas that allow for amazing things to happen not only based on faculty and students but the surrounding area and the kind of peace of mind or mm-hmm. or you know reaction to what's around you whether it in that in humble states case it's the ocean and the forest and it's just an incredible place um so yes i mean that had a had and still has an impact on me. Um, mm-hmm. Those times and the continued relationships with those people, um, and that led to going to the Art Institute. And Virgil is who introduced me to Ruby Neary, um, and because their fathers are both artists and had worked together and had taught at the Art Institute, and just being the kids of artists, they they met and um, knew each other and. Um, that, you know, Ruby and I just kind of lit fires on each other as our for our work individually and out on the street. And mm-hmm. That was the other thing I really enjoyed talking to you about was your tagging, making graffiti, but also just you have this kind of knowledge, I think, of it or really respect for maybe a history of it and also an eye on what it's been and what it's become. And Mm -hmm. I see that kind of a lot in your work. We were talking about this the other day about how graffiti, if you know what you're looking for, it's like these little notes everywhere and references to people. So you talk a little bit about graffiti with Ruby and with your friends in San Francisco? Ruby and I had different relationships to graffiti. She had a little bit more of a straightforward one. Part of it, she's 10 times more skilled with a spray can than I am. Um, But she was more drawn to, like, traditional graffiti. We would go out a ton, but she pretty quickly just, A, started getting recognized as kind of more of a legitimate graffiti, whereas I was also just kind of going out with my 
beautiful dirtbag friends that never picked up a spray can and you know we kind of just it was a little bit more outside of like traditional graffiti but again I think one of the sort of baselines of graffiti that I talk about a lot is they see things that most people don't and I think that really reflects where graffiti comes from is again again I'm talking in broad strokes because all sorts of people do the same thing for a lot of different reasons but in in my mind sort of the pure of graffiti is the, the, the pure state of it is is a you know having the guts to go out in the middle of the night illegally without permission and find spaces that most people don't ever see and do it generally you don't do it alone you know there's kind of this buddy system so there's a whole trust there's a there's an entire rule book to it that like everything and every rule book sort of gets shifted back you know a little bit here and there and there with that you know again I, I remember talking to you a few weeks ago uh, and I think there is a real relationship to these abandoned spaces and these mm -hmm. there's some sort of direct like line where it's I'm going to see what's not being seen because maybe I feel like invisible I don't consider myself a traditional graffiti person, but I also don't like the term street art. Or um, I think it's all just sort of if it's yeah. if it's non-permissible, it's it's graffiti. I don't mm -hmm. care if it's made with gum or a stick or the most you know elegant graffiti mm -hmm. cap and spray paint. Again, you know, there's there's spectrums to everything, but. Um, there's really something about the fact that people were making, and this was back in the day, because now all these graffiti people are making these amazing products, but back in the day you had to make your own ink. You cut your own caps to diversify the size. There's a real genius and, and um, not desperation, but there's something that about pushing yourself and an invention that's in still exists in graffiti. I mean, there's people that have figured out how to mix their own colors with the cans and refill cans. And there's something I, I do have a very, very deep respect to. I mean, there's great people and assholes in every <laughs> sort of category. But yeah, I have, a, I have a very deep respect, not just for the action, but the skill. It is, it is not an easy medium to work with at all. It's mm -hmm. a... Um, and it takes a real diligence to, you know, not perfect it, but to, you know, keep with it. You have to just constantly be doing it. And I, again, I think there's certain people that are drawn to certain practices. Like, there's almost an obsessive quality to it. Um, I love the moniker aspect to mm -hmm. it. Again, um, you know, and your monikers more, more where embarrassing than others. <laughs> uh, I started actually with Pro Hibiscus because I was looking for a friend of mine, Brian Keeney, who was kind of didn't have a place to live. I wouldn't, out of respect, necessarily call him homeless, but he, he didn't have a place to live for several months, and so it was more an, a nickname that I wanted him to know that I was out there and I knew he was out there. Mm -hmm. So I went from probiscus to probe, and I wrote uh, probe, A, because it was shorter than 11 letters, which is somehow difficult, you know, not always the easiest thing to do, 
but also at that point I'd start seeing women and there was a sex lube that was called probe at the time truth be told and I really I was really happy about there being a queer presence on the street mm-hmm. which back in the 90s it was a it was rare that there were women that yeah. were even... A lot has changed since then for obvious reasons. And then it went to fancy because I wanted more women to know that there was... And I, a lot of the... Especially back then, a lot of the names were kind of hard and, you mm. know... And I wanted something a little bit lighter. But then I got arrested too many times with that. So then I changed it to Grace. And now it's back to... I mean... I don't really go out on the street very often, except foolishly with my other old geezer friends, you know. But um, there, that's not true. There's some young people. There's younger people that I go out with. But it's kind of returned back to probe. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit, and Oliver, too, about this intergenerational thing? Because when we talked, you said kind of like how much you get from, I think... You teach. I don't like to call it teaching. Right, you don't like, I to, like call to call it... call it working with younger artists. Working with younger artists, that's right. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? And Oliver, you were at the Art Institute and didn't have Alicia as your working Official. companion. Yeah, I don't know, not teacher. Yeah. <laughs> I never signed up for a class. We class together. Yeah, yeah. I never signed up for a class with her, but she... I'd always be in the studio, and I remember the first time I really met her, the first time I really remember was um, I was, like, working in the sculpture pit, and she was, like, setting up a presentation. She's like, hey, I'm going to do this presentation in, like, 20 minutes. I think you should come see it. And I was like, "Uh, okay. And then, like, (laughs) my friend Nico was in the class, and, you know, I just, like, came over and sat and, like, watched it and then, like, talked to her for a bit after and, like, just kept on talking to her and building up a relationship, even mm-hmm. though, like, we and she would have visiting artists come and she'd tell me when she was doing that and I would drop into her class and check out those. So it was just, like, this, yeah, she was just kind of looking out and, like... Yeah. And then sure. was it, like, after graduation? Because I know that you've worked with her kind of... Yeah. ...in some capacity for a uh, few... At least after a few years, I graduated, right? I moved, she was moving into a new studio, and she had this studio in downtown Oakland, and she invited me to come over there and um, take her old spot up. Um, so mm-hmm. I ended up going over there with another uh, student from SFAI, and then uh, we were there for a while, but I helped her move into her new studio and, like, built her a couple panels and a table and stuff. And mm-hmm. she kind of, like, started working for her, like, here and there. And then she, like, yeah. So she's been working together for a while. Yeah, her looking out for younger artists and really appreciating that. Yeah, and then we worked on the the giant, the colossal <laughs> mural in downtown San Francisco. And then... Yeah, you guys officially finished that. Officially finished that. In December, November? November. So it's on the set. How many, how, what are the dimensions of that building? 80 by 120 or something like that. 112 feet wide by 85 feet high. That's Mm -hmm. the wall. So it's probably 106 feet wide by maybe closer to 75 feet high. Um, what did that feel like working at that scale? Lots of things, lots of feelings. <laughs> yeah, I'd say many, the first many feelings. The first ten minutes of it was uh, the first ten minutes going all the way up for the first time and looking down 
and like being like, am I okay? And I think there's this thing, thing where in your brain where you're like, it's like it's normal to respond like that, but mm-hmm. you just kind of after like after a minute you just kind of override it, and then you're like can go back up however many times. And there's moments where your brain kind of clicks back into like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Why are you here? Like, this is so dangerous. But (laughs) for the most part, you could just kind of over, or at least for me, I could like kind of override it. One of the other crew members was like, his name was uh, Monkey, which is funny enough. He was like, he shifted the lift and he'll yep. be like yelling at you. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, it was, it was, it was uneasy. Else, somebody else walking on it. Yeah. Again, triggers your body yeah. to react. Like, that's not my movement, and you yeah. feel like you can move two inches or a hundred feet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, like, but I appreciate the part of our our bodies that say that this isn't normal. This isn't right, yeah. (laughs) But it is amazing how after a few weeks or just a few days how I was never 100% comfortable when we were all the way up at the top. I was totally comfortable if I was working, but as soon as I stopped working... Waiting for paint to dry. Yeah, your mind would wander, but even or equally as ridiculous as all I had to do was drop down 10 feet and I'm like oh okay this is better I'm not at 80 feet I'm just at 70 feet (laughs) somehow my body or maybe I just knew we were you know on the way down but yeah it was a really incredible experience to share with other people and Mm -hmm. uh and the and the people in particular that that uh, work we worked on it together, and mm-hmm. um, I call it our mural. It's how I naturally refer to it. I refer to this as our piece. You know, yeah. I know it's not a true collaboration, but um, there it did seem in some sense when you were talking about, and I know your relationship to color. You've talked about this isn't based on color theory, but it's a very kind of visceral, even emotional thing. But how. Um, with the crew, you kind of, they would pick up on how you might make decisions and kind of like they would start to get that. They actually directly asked, I mean, um, and that it was sort of, or through the process of in the beginning of me picking out colors, you know, how I, and again, it, I don't really think about it when I'm in my studio. So it's interesting to be confronted with how do I choose these colors, you know? Mm -hmm. And the best way to describe is sort of you kind of do what seems sort of right, but then you want to do what is really seems wrong. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise it, it needs these interruptions because, again, with the importance of the the actual hand involved, meaning the the lines that move and are yeah. not ruled out and straight. The image is dependent upon that, but it's equally dependent upon a variation of, of all different colors mm-hmm. and not soothing palettes. I mean, mm-hmm. I could make something that's soothing, you know, but I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in, and I think the sort of energy of it is based in those disruptive colors and the the sort of those moments when like yeah it was like learning the language of how that worked but also seeing how it expanded out from the center mm. but there would be like moments where like you'd have 
things going like over and underneath and then you'd add another layer and then like this this yellow would hit the yellow stripe going the other way but it was like slightly off and it it, it was like it's amazing how yeah. like simple of a thing that can be as a color and a line but then how it really is become something so much bigger and especially like in this sort of nexus or web um how that all functions together and i can imagine like as you're painting or being up up there on the swing stage versus the people on the street watching you yeah make it wondering what was going on up there yeah (laughs) liking it or not (laughs) i mean there's something extra special about like being so close up to it we mean we have like 12 inch rollers so Mm -hmm. it's like these giant stripes and you go across once and then back across to, for the second layer, just going over each different color because there was about maybe like a five by five square in mm-hmm. between, like in the grid of like the background that peeked through. Yeah. So there was like four different colors around each each square. Yeah. But the, sometimes those were like, it's like pink and like orange and like green and you're like oh my god look at this like, <laughs> on such a large scale that and you're so close to the building that you're mm-hmm. really only sort of experiencing it in this like swaths yeah, yeah. like the windows just yeah like kind of larger than i'd ever experienced and you're sort of live doing it so yeah. it's like there was a lot of like whoa you know yeah. <laughs> i think we're calling them like interesting moments like that was an interesting yeah. moment yeah. there are like moments within the weave yeah. that, that only weave. we're gonna experience yeah. you know and again I think that was an exciting thing for me to witness other people cause you never know like I don't know I don't I'm still shocked that again like I said earlier like I truly am still shocked that people enjoy what I do or invite me to do things and the equal is people that you're asking to do what you're doing I mean they're all incredible artists in their own right that I have a lot of respect for and I'm asking them to do something that I don't know how they feel about you know or especially at that scale like you don't know how necessarily like it's going to function right no, As something the entire so huge. setup was totally intuitive. Like, mm-hmm. it was all I. There was no... It was same thing here. I yeah. mean, we kind of loosely came up with a center, mm-hmm. sort of shift things around, you know, and... But it's all about that kind of getting started, you know? Yeah. Again, is the sort of... Um, and these larger scale projects is sort of a layer of that kind of community that goes into it. It just sometimes they're humans, sometimes it's just colors and paint when I'm yeah. by myself. There's um, so. Now, Oliver, I think scale, I don't know a ton about your work. I've kind of like looked at it a little bit and we haven't talked that much, but scale's kind of interesting in your work and I know you like work across media but it seems like everything from you brought these little portraits for your brother that were like carved and there's a lot of like carved figurative yeah portraits of the dogs yeah my (laughs) my brother loves his dogs um shout out to Elliot (laughs) (laughs) but then also um I saw you did at Art Basel in Miami uh beach this huge like paper mache figure that was how big was that the cowboy um I don't know. I think it was probably somewhere around like 25 feet like long. Like him, he was like falling off the second floor. He's like tripping off the this, this <laughs> cowboy falling forward onto his face basically. 
but he's like tripping off the second floor with his foot down on the first. Um, but I mean, the arm stretched in front of him, so it was large that way. And then it was like uh, two stories tall, mm-hmm. but um, it actually ended up like by the time I was leaving, it was a lot lower than it, when the like it actually when cool. it opened. Like, <laughs> so it kind of sagged. But yeah, working with scale. Um, it was like that. That project was based on um, was based on the f- the first one, which is uh, w- which was roughly based off the Muffler Man. It's like this this like a uh, kind of roadside attraction, like kind of piece of Americana. But like, the, mm-hmm. I don't think the Muffler Man like means anything or it has any like company anymore. But people like take it and like they make them into. He's like basically got one hand holding something, one hand like uh, above it. And, like, people take them now and make, like, lumberjack versions of the Muffler Man. There's, like, the <laughs> Jesus version where he's got a cross. Like, it's, like, it's, it goes all across medium. But I did, like, the Cowboy Muffler Man um, was the first iteration of that. And yeah. then people were, like, so into that. I was, like, I've been asked to, like, do those things again. But um, And he does them in, like, three days. Yeah. I know, yeah, it was amazing. So, like, really, really quickly. The first one, yeah. Well, how you make them and just the fact that I think you were talking about um, the, I mean, it has such a like huge impact and it's like kind of funny and weird, but um, also just the fact that like, I think kind of like Alicia's practice or maybe like making do with things that aren't like high art materials necessarily, or just like, what do I have around that can work? Yeah. I mean, having no access to money also yeah. helps that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it helps point us in a direction for sure. that. The materials I used in Miami, they, the, I took, took apart a room in an abandoned building. Like, there was all these storefronts that had been, like, gone forever and then, like, I saw that there was a staircase upstairs and there was all these scrap materials everywhere so I just started, I went up there with a drill and, like, took apart this, like, like, room that they tried like started to build but like just like stopped so there's all these just two by fours all over the place um and like just between the drywall kind of Mm -hmm. stuff so I just ripped that apart and brought it over to the building I was working in it's like kind of scrappy but it was it was was fun yeah like it um yeah well um I think that that's kind of it in terms of like questions I had for you guys and covering some material so thank you so much thank for giving you. us a little more insight to your work no thank you so much yeah really i i i can't believe you get you let us do things like this <laughs> i appreciate it i do yeah. too <laughs> yeah it's, it's fun been a, it's been a great week yeah happy to have you that was assistant curator Lucy Zimmerman with artists Alicia McCarthy and Oliver Hawk Holden. And we're excited to share that the mural No Straight Lines will remain up in the WEX lobby through the summer. For more information about the WEX and its programming, go to wexarts.org.